Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to hear all those conversations, and hopefully we can continue those after church. But what we're going to do now is come before our great God in prayer and read the Bible together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for that awesome fact that while we were yet sinners, Jesus came and died for us. There's nothing we can do to earn your grace or your mercy. It's all this wonderful gift from you. And we pray, Lord, that as we read your word together, and as Chris opens it up to us, that we would be inspired by our Lord Jesus and this very individual interaction he has with the woman in the passage, and that we can see how he has come to be our own personal saviour. And we would take that joy with us into our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen. So our reading today comes from uh, John, chapter 7, verses 53 to 8, verse 11. Um, and in some Bibles, this is a little bit of a squishy text, which is mine today. So um, we'll read this together. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Well, good morning, church family. Good to be with you here this morning as we dig into this passage. We are here at the end of the Gospel of John. Well, last week we thought we were at the end. We had a, an episode which we called the Breakfast with Jesus. This week I thought we should call it Getting Stoned with Jesus, but for some reason that didn't fly. So instead we're looking at The Mercy of Jesus, which is probably a far more appropriate title. But before we get into discussing the passage, I think it would be good to discuss... The obvious question, why are we looking at this passage now? Didn't, didn't we just finish John last week? And why in our Bibles, if you've got your Bibles open, why is it in italics and that sort of thing? Well, if you have an NIV Bible, it says this, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 to 8.11. And that's true. The earliest copies of the Gospel of John, they don't have this passage. These words don't start turning up in manuscripts until around the 3rd to 4th century. In fact, almost everyone accepts that 
John, the gospel writer, didn't write these words. They differ in style. It's a, it's a different, it's certainly a break in the flow of the gospel. And that's why we skipped over it earlier when we were going through John. And if you've got a new NIV, it says this, a few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part after John 7.36, John 21.25, Luke 21.38, or Luke 24.53. And that's true as well. This episode, it can turn up in different places, in different manuscripts. So with all this confusion, why is it still in the Bible? And why are we preaching on it today? Well, I don't want to bog us down in detail, but there are a few things which I think is helpful for us to know. And there's, there are a lot of scholars who've studied a lot of this, and scholars that I trust and we trust, they agree on a lot of things. That this actually is most likely a true story of Jesus' ministry. It was just passed down orally until someone wrote it down. If you look at the story too, it's very consistent with Jesus, his teaching, his actions and his heart. And it has, we've got similar interactions like this throughout the gospel with both people who are outcasts and with the religious elite. It's also consistent with the rest of the Bible. There is nothing new in this passage that can't be found elsewhere. It doesn't teach us something new. It's just a different episode going deeper into that. And actually, it was included, this, this passage, this passage was included in the final canonization of the Bibles that we have today. Now, if you're unaware of this, canonization is the process by which the early church worked together to agree on which New Testament works were already seen as clearly as part of God's word to his followers. Now, there's a lot more you can dig into in that if you want to, uh, and why you can actually really trust the Bible that you have in your hands. Now, I'm, I'm posting a video and an article on our Facebook community group uh, this morning, and it'll be in the newsletter this week as well. So you can, you can go into that deep. You can come and chat to me, come and chat to James. We'd be happy to talk to you more deeply about all this. But for all those reasons, we still think this is a, a good thing to be looking at today looking at in the Bible, and really, finally, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's a beautiful story that clearly shows the grace and mercy of Jesus that he came to bring, and also the call Jesus has on all our lives when we follow him. So let's get into it. Let's dig into this much-loved story of Jesus. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Here we are in the temple courts again. Now, this is a place where Jesus did a lot of public ministry. We see a lot of other incidents where Jesus has all sorts of tricky interactions, actually, with the, with the Pharisees there, like the turning over of the tables, verbal battles, which result in uh, people trying to seize Jesus and him slipping away. All these, there's many other incidents right here in the temple courts, and here we are again. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question 
as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. It's a trap! But Jesus doesn't need Admiral Akbar to tell him this was a trap. This dilemma would have been obvious to him. And this is the dilemma. I mean, this is the law, and it's pretty clear on this. Leviticus 20 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbour, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. But straight away, there's some very off things about this picture, about this situation. Firstly, where's the man? It's pretty clear in the law, both the adulterer and the adulteress, they're both supposed to be there and be brought before judgment. But here, there's just a woman. So right, right from the word go, it was pretty obvious that this had been staged. Whoever the man was who was part of this, he's absent from this test they want to put to Jesus. Was he in on it all along? Or did the scribes and Pharisees decide to spare him the shame? We don't really know. But we can clearly see that this woman is not just an offender, but also a victim of the evil plans of the Pharisees. And the plans, they are evil. They're most definitely evil. They're prepared to kill this woman simply so they could trap Jesus. They're prepared to violently throw stones at this woman until she died from blunt trauma. Such a horrific and violent way to enforce capital punishment. So their, their use of this woman as a pawn in their scheme show they're actually far less concerned about the sin than they are to use this opportunity to corner Jesus and to see him fall. The other thing about this, this was very public. We're here in the temple courts, right? It's the most public of places in all of Jerusalem. And it's not where you would usually bring someone to have judgment brought on them in matters like this. This was a deliberately public place, so there would be many witnesses, witnesses that would be able to join them, these Pharisees, in condemning Jesus when he falls for their trap. And the trap, the trap is this. If Jesus says, stone her, well, suddenly it becomes a lynching and it goes against the Roman rule. Jesus would be in trouble with the Roman overlords. But if Jesus says, do not stone her, that goes against God's law and he cannot claim to be from God. Either way, Jesus is trapped, or so it seems. So what does Jesus do? Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, that's an odd response. Is he just stalling for time? Well, that's pretty unlikely. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who always knows the perfect answer to give. So what's he writing? Well, we don't know. There are a lot of guesses out there. It could be scripture. There are other, it could be laws that the scribes and Pharisees were breaking in this moment. He could have been drawing. It could have been names of the accusers, sins of the accusers. I even got a text from Wayne. I mean, Boss Man 101. Um, there's this passage in Jeremiah 17. It might be something to do with that. He may be writing that out. Look, we don't know. I'd love to know what he was writing, but I don't. And I don't need to know. We don't need to know, as there are far more important lessons here. 
And as he's writing, the scribes and the Pharisees, they keep badgering him for an answer. They must feel they've got Jesus stumped. But then Jesus straightened up and said to them, let any one of who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus, who always has the perfect answer, has it again. In one statement, Jesus disarms their trap and throws it back on them. It's now the scribes and Pharisees that are caught in Jesus' trap. And Jesus, having delivered his judgment, goes back to writing whatever he was writing. And at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, with only when Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. You can imagine the scene, can't you? One by one they leave. One by one they all realise they're sinners too. They don't have the high ground from which to judge this woman. If they were carrying stones, you can imagine the, the thump, thump, thump as stones being dropped to the ground. Stones that were there to deliver death and judgment on the woman and on Jesus and now merely useless rocks. And all the evil plans of the scribes and Pharisees have come to nothing and they each leave with their tail between their legs. Why was it the older ones first? Well, was it the experience of age? I mean, at my age, I am certainly far more aware of my sin than I've ever been. Maybe it's the wisdom of the older ones who know that they've been stumped by Jesus first. Or it's young men with all their fiery passion and black and white thinking are more reluctant to give in. Again, we can only guess as to why. All we know is Jesus has turned them all away from their latest attempt to trap him. And it's just him and the woman there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The woman. Up till now, she's been merely a pawn in the game of the Pharisees. But now she's centre stage. Centre stage with Jesus and his heart for mercy. You, you can feel the heart of Jesus in this, can't you? Even if this woman was a victim of all the men who manufactured this situation, this woman had still sinned. That's not in doubt. But now this woman, publicly shamed in front of everyone, she now feels the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is gentle with her. He doesn't condemn her, even if her shame tells her she should be condemned. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't leave it there. He also says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus shows his forgiveness and his compassion, but he also challenges this woman to change, to repent of her sin, to change all the circumstances of her life that have led to this moment. 
He freely gives her mercy and forgiveness, but he also invites her into a life where she seeks to leave sin in the past. This is the gospel, friends. This is good news. This is the same good news that is offer, on offer for us all today. So what are we to do with this good news? Well, here's two perspectives we can look at from this incident that I'd like to look at. I want to look at throwing stones and I want to look at grace to change. First, throwing stones. Do you know Christians can be often seen as quick to judge? This here on the screen, I don't know if you can read it, but it's from McCrindle Research and there's major perceptions of Christians in Australia. And the top ones we can rejoice at, caring, loving, kind, honest, faithful, they're all good things. But when we get down the list, we see that 20% of people see Christians as judgmental. And in fact, the way Christians judge others, it's a blocker for 43% of people who might be open to change or exploring Christianity further. It blocks them from doing that. There's no doubt that judgmental Christians are stopping people exploring Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this should not be so. This incident spells it out plainly. In, in the midst of disarming the trap set for him, Jesus also disarms our ability to be judgmental. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus spoke plainly to the scribes and Pharisees in front of him. He turned the mirror back on their own hearts. He wanted them to search their hearts and realise that they too were lawbreakers. They'd all sinned and rebelled against their God. So how can they stand in such a judgement on someone else when they too were guilty? That's the same for us. Look, it's backed up in Matthew where Jesus says it even clearer. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And then he goes on to tell the mini parable of why do you point out the speck in a brother's eye when you've got this whopping great plank in your own eye? Why is it so easy for us to judge others? When, even when we've been saved by grace, we know we sin and we know we don't deserve God's love, but he gives it and we receive it. Why do we still point the finger at others? When you think about it, we can often judge others when we think we're better than them. I'd never do that sin, we can say, forgetting there are so many sins that others can point the finger at us for. Judgment can also come when we try to mask our own inadequacies, when we try and hide our own shortcomings behind a veneer of being better than we really are. In both cases, we are forgetting the most important thing. If you are a Christian, you are saved by grace and grace alone. None of us deserve the mercy and love that God has shown us, yet he gives it to us still. So when we think about this picture and our ability, maybe our propensity to join the Pharisees in being ready to throw stones, 
I want us to think of another picture we see in the Gospel of John. This one. This one where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, where he instructs them to go and do likewise, to serve each other in humble ways, to bring this same attitude of humble service to the world around us as we share the love of Jesus with gentleness and respect. It's very hard to throw stones while you're washing feet. Live out a life of humble service and it will change your heart. Remember the grace Jesus has shown you and be slow to judge. I'll say it again. It is very hard to throw stones while you're washing feet. Jesus is our example in this picture. And he's our example in this one as well. His gentleness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. This is the way all of us as Christians should be towards anyone who's caught up in the shame of their sin. And then, along with Jesus, we gently call them to change. And that's where we shift our application to grace to change. Let's think again about this woman. Here she is, a pawn of the games of the Pharisees, but she's been abused and publicly shamed. However, while she's still a victim, she's still guilty. Guilty of adultery. Adultery is a bad thing. Do not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and for good reason. And just being clear, in the Bible, adultery is any sex outside of marriage. Sex has been designed by God to be the intimate glue for a lifelong marriage commitment between a man and a woman. Which means that any adultery is destructive. Relationships are severed as people are betrayed. Sexual sins leave a stain on the lives of those who commit them and those around them. It's a betrayal of trust, both now and in the future. Are you sitting here today and you've had the sin of adultery wreak havoc in your life? I personally know the destruction that this sin has brought on my extended family. And I'm sure there's many here today who know this too well. Adultery is wrong. Adultery is sin. And in fact, you may be sitting here today and you've been the one who's committed sin in this area. You may well know the deep shame of your own sin in this area. Or maybe it's a different area. Not adultery, but a very different sin, but still there's a, a deep shame casting a shadow over your life. It could be a shame that's been publicly exposed for the world to see or it could be a shame that you keep really well hidden, locked away for no one to see. Whichever seat we're sitting in, if, as we feel sin and know all of this, as we sit here today, let's dwell on this picture. The deep compassion 
and mercy of Jesus. Jesus still shows this compassion and gentleness today to you, to us. He is before you saying, neither do I condemn you. Others may condemn you. You may condemn yourself. You may deserve condemnation, but Jesus does not give it. In Romans, it says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's because Jesus has taken the condemnation for you. Jesus would suffer his own shame, his own condemnation, his own punishment on the cross. He didn't deserve it, but he did it for you, for us all. He took the condemnation so he can freely say to each one of us, neither do I condemn you. What freedom, what relief free from condemnation, free from shame. Are you sitting here today and feeling this? Maybe you're feeling it for the first time. Maybe you're feeling it afresh. Jesus offers you a life where he welcomes you and he does not condemn you. If you're feeling this, if you're wanting to respond to Jesus, to know him more, we'd love to chat to you. Come and chat to me, James, someone who you came with. We'd love to help you know this Jesus more, his compassion and his graciousness even more. It's a mercy that he shows to all of us and it beckons us with gentleness and compassion and says, neither do I condemn you. But then Jesus, just as with the woman, doesn't leave it there. He also says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus' forgiveness is always free. The order of this statement is pretty important. It's grace first. Jesus gives us his grace. But once we receive it, Jesus calls us to change. He calls us to leave our life of sin. Once you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, then begins a lifelong journey of discerning between good and evil, of working on the sin in your life. Jesus calls you to change, to grow in maturity, to become mature disciples of him. This is the Christian life. The grace of Jesus is grace and it's beautiful and it's compassionate but it also comes with a challenge. The grace of Jesus is comfort and challenge. Jesus shows us so much grace that he wants to intercept our self-destructive behaviours. He loves us enough to challenge us to change. But he doesn't want to leave you to change all by yourself. He's right there with you every step of the way. Once you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and give you power to change. 
Once you're resting in the grace of Jesus, it brings so much freedom. And in this freedom, you have far more power to change. You can hear and obey your Lord as he says to you, neither do I condemn you. Go now and live your life of sin. That's comfort. It's challenge. We get grace, but then we get the grace to change our lives. So no matter what seat we're sitting in here today, Jesus says this to all of us. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray we will. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the perfect Son of God who always knows the perfect response, who disarms these Pharisees and their judgmentalism and their abilities to try and trap him and turns that trap back on them. He turns it back on all of us. Lord, we want to confess to you when we have been judgmental when we point the finger at others, Lord, we don't have the right to do so because we are all sinners. We all fall short of your goodness and glory. And we want to come before you and rest in the free forgiveness and grace and mercy that you show us. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't condemn us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the condemnation for us. Thank you, Jesus, that we are yours now and forever. And Jesus, we ask that you will help us. You will give us the power to change, to say no to sin and say yes to you. Help us do that together in community as a people of God. Help us do it because of all that you have done for us. We thank you and praise you and ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.